The one story that can supercharge your traffic, increase your conversions, is your customer story. I'm going to send you nine systems for finding and collecting those stories, no matter where they happen. Just text GMS9 to 321-392-6692, or click the link in the show notes to get those today. In a world full of boring stories, bad videos, and marketing misinformation, one very tall man with a weird last name will use his microphone. Is this thing on? Use his video marketing knowledge. It's the red button, right? And use his friends. Please be on the show. To change that. You are listening to The Garlic Marketing Show with Ian. What? No, that's how you pronounce it. Well, if you say so, your host, Ian Garlic. All right, we've got Tucker Max back on, and today we're going to be talking a little bit more about uh, booking a box. Tucker, you know, last time you told me how, how you really generate this idea and grew it and really latched on and really worked through it. But now I want to talk about your customers, the people getting the book in a box, because I've seen a lot of people out there getting books. But what are some of the ways people you see using books these days to market themselves that are different than the usual ways? Uh, dude, there's so many ways. Uh, the general way that you want to use a book to market yourself, the mistake most people make is they try and go broad, right? So that they'll, they'll look at the New York Times bestseller list and they'll see, oh, Malcolm Gladwell and Michael Lewis and Bill O'Reilly or whoever. And, and, and they'll think, oh yeah, so I need to write a really cool, big idea, broad book that everyone's going to like. And that'll help me you know, do really well in my super niche consulting business, which <laughs> doesn't make any sense, right? So yeah. what we try and do with people, well, for, there's two problems with that. One is that most people just don't have a big idea or a broad book in them. And that's not an insult. It's just not a lot of people train for that. They train to be really good at, at, at a small sort of set of tasks or a small field, right? And then the other problem is, most people, uh, because they train for a small set of tasks or small fields, they have a relatively small market that they are advertising to or potential that they could potentially attract as clients. And going broad and shallow doesn't work to attract a niche. You need to go narrow and deep. And so what we do with our clients is almost all of our clients, a few of them come in and do have big ideas and we help them kind of develop those, those big idea books. But most of them, we actually scope them way, way down. And so we have their books focus really only on what they know really well. And we actually narrow down the appeal to market to the, the only the people that they're trying to reach and nobody else. So a great example is our first client, Melissa Gonzalez. She, um, she's a, an innovator in pop-up retail. And that's like you know a tiny field that maybe 5,000 people in the world care about. But those 5,000 people care a lot and they have money and they work for companies like Neiman Marcus and Chanel and whatever. And so, so when Melissa had gone to a, a traditional publisher and they're like, okay, so 5,000 people, even if they all bought books, that's not enough to, for us to justify publishing this book. So we want you to write a book about broad retail trends for small business or whatever nonsense. And she's like, well, that's, that's terrible. Those aren't my clients. And so she came to us and we're like, yeah, pop up retail, nail it. And in fact, let's, let's, let's niche it even further down, like how businesses can use pop up retail for a specific sort of thing. 
And as a result, she's only sold a thousand copies of her book, but um, which is actually not a terrible amount for a nonfiction book, but it's not a lot by any stretch. But that book has directly led to almost a million dollars, I think. I think she's passed over a million dollars in sales that are directly attributable to the book itself, to leads coming in from the book. She's tripled inbound leads her first year, doubled the second year. Business or business has tripled in size over two years. She's made millions of dollars off of an investment by only selling a thousand books to the exact right people. That's the general strategy, the general hack. And most people don't want to do it because they have this idea in their head that like a book has to be big and that they're going to write a book that's going to make them famous and they're going to be a fancy author, you know, <laughs> sipping cocktails at a dinner party or whatever the hell it is. And like, that's just not realistic, you know? Oh yeah. It's not realistic at all. I mean, there's so many amazing authors out there that still are struggling and and they have to add other parts to their business to actually, because they were an author, they have to add some sort of authority piece to actually make money because they're not making money just in their book. That's right. a great point. And I, you know, if you do the math of it, like you were just talking, you had a five, I mean, I'm just guessing you were pretty close with that 5,000 person community. She sold her book to 20% of the community. Of that's her amazing. target market. That's amazing. Her, right. That's, I know, right? <laughs> that's, I mean, if you get 20% of the people in your target market to know who you are and see you as an authority, for that's 20, for 20 grand. Yeah, Think about that for a second. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, to your point, how much money would you spend on a salesperson to get in touch and make you the authority with 20% of those people? Because I have a lot of people saying that. You know, right. They, and, they, and by the way, who's going to take that call? You know, like, can, can, can an outbound salesperson even do that? Also, you know, like, that's why books are so great for marketing is because they, they, they have a special set of powers that no other marketing has. I, I was actually talking about this with, with, with somebody else. Uh, I mean, a lot of the really smart marketing people like Seth Godin have been talking about this for a decade. And it, it seems funny, like everyone says they read Seth Godin, and then I bring up this idea, and they're like, oh, I've never heard that before. I'm like, well, what are you reading when you read Seth Godin? <laughs> because about every day. But like the idea that companies used to have to market and advertise by essentially convincing you to buy something, mass market, you know, uh, wide and shallow, you know, like they make lawnmowers sexy, you know, like, I mean, that's what advertising agencies do, right? And so yep. many people's idea of sales and marketing are informed by that, that hundred year sort of Madison Avenue idea of marketing. But in a world where mass marketing doesn't work anymore, where people are jaded, where no one wants to hear about the, the lawnmower that's going to get them laid because they know that's nonsense. <laughs> and so what, what they want is they want trust and they want authority and they want information that they can take an action on and they want to feel respected and spoken to like an adult. And there is no better way to do that than a book, especially a book from a person. And then the cool thing about a book, man, is like no one goes in search of ads ever. During the Super Bowl, sometimes people will go watch the ads because they're funny. That's the only time in it, once a year people go looking for ads and that's it. But every other time, what people do search out is information that will help them solve their problem, which a book is the perfect thing to do, right? Yes. It's the perfect package to tell your potential audience what you know about solving their problem so they will buy your product or hire you. Exactly. 
you know, there can be unintended consequences. I like stepping back. You and I know who Gary Vaynerchuk is. Most of the people listening to this are going to know who he is. But the funny part is the guy is, you know, hustling his butt off to sell his book and make it a mass appeal. But I would say out of the thousand people I know on Facebook, probably 10% of them actually know who he is. And really? it, oh, yeah, it, I guess you're right. Because most people, you're right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if most you're listening to this podcast or a hustler who's trying to do shit, most people are not that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's a perfect example. And how much work did he have to do to get to that point? And still, he's not hit any type of mass penetration. So then I looked at like Ryan Holiday, and I just was listening to him on uh, talk to Tim Ferriss about, you know, how his book, his last book, Obstacles Away became famous in the NFL and famous in a small group, but the small group of awesome people knew who he was and it really got him a lot of exposure. And I, I think that's an, a, such an important mindset to get across to everyone. It's getting you know, that. You know, small. he was my first assistant. Oh, really? Yeah. Ryan Holiday started that, off working for me. That's awesome. He's, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a great writer, or at least the information it's well researched. And I, I've really enjoyed that stuff. Like you're saying, it's getting over this mindset. So when someone calls you up, because this is a problem I have, you know, as doing video marketing for people, coming up with strategy for them, it's really hard to narrow them down and say, listen, just talk to one person, talk to the small group of people. How do you guys get people past that mindset? So it, it's, it's our process, man. We have a really amazingly well dialed in process to create books and we walk people through it. But basically the way it starts, anyone can, I'll tell you exactly how it starts. So we, we start off with three questions. Why are you writing this book? Who do you want to read it? Why are they going to care? And obviously, you know, we dive in a, a deeper into each question. But if you can answer each of those questions accurately and, and in a way that flows and makes sense, it not only tells you exactly what your book is going to be about, it tells you exactly who the audience is and it tells you exactly why that audience is going to read it. Right. So like a. Uh, Take a great, let's stay with Melissa with a pop-up retail. So why is she writing a book? She's writing a book to establish her authority and legitimacy in her field so that uh, people will hire her as, um, as, uh, as a pop-up retail consultant and get her to do their sort of pop-up retail, uh, sort of, uh, projects, right? And so who's her audience? It's the 5,000 people who care about pop-up retail, who make decisions about whether or not to use pop-up retail and how to use it for brands. Why are they going to care? Because she knows everything about that field and her book explains to them exactly how to do it and how to make decisions about it. And so like clear as day, that's exactly that. That's the, the second two questions are what niche people down. Who is your audience? Like we, we nailed them down on the result first. So people like a lot of people will say, Oh, I want to write a book to help people. It's like, okay, that's great. <laughs> Who do you want to help? And then, you know, we make them. We kind of go through this. We have to go through this cycle with some people a lot. Or they say, "Oh, I want to be famous." Okay, what does famous mean to you? Or you know, like <laughs> we, we got to drill down with people. But once we get them to a specific result, that, that's kind of the question we always end up asking: What specific result must occur in order for this book to be a success for you? And if you frame it that way, then people start to really think, "Okay, like they, ah, I'd love to be a New York Times bestselling author and famous and blah blah blah." But what has to happen is X. And so then we start with them using X as, as the guide. We say, okay, who needs to read this book in order for you to get X? So for Melissa to be 
considered the pop-up retail expert and the one that all the brands, big brands go to, the people that have to read the book are the people, the, the decision makers at brands, right? The ones who care about pop-up retail. Okay, great. Why do they care? Because that's the thing. No one cares about you. No one cares about your product or your book or anything about you. They only care about themselves and they only care about your product or your book in relation to how it's going to help them. And, uh, and so, you know, that's a jarring thing for everyone knows that intellectually, but it's a very jarring thing when you're thinking about a book because everyone thinks about a book as a piece. They start off thinking about their book as a piece of their identity. Oh, I know so much and I'm going to be fancy and people are going to love me and respect me, you know, because their image of a writer is like Hemingway or <laughs> or something like that. But once we kind of get them dialed in then they realize, oh yeah, okay. So it's 5,000 people and I need to explain exactly how they can use pop-ups in their business and make decisions about pop-ups so that the brand manager can, can take, literally take the checklist from my book and go up to her CMO and tell her, here's why we need a pop-up. Here's how we're going to use it. Here's the results we're going to get. And the CMO is going to approve her budget and then she's going to come hire me. Right. And so in that way, people, then, then people go from thinking about fantasy to actually thinking about ROI. And they're like, Oh yeah, man, this, if this book gets me, three clients, then I'm going to make, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. Like, and actually the first client Melissa signed because of the book was an $80,000 client. Yes. Um, and so for her, it was like, well, how can I do this more? <laughs> she wrote the second edition and it was like, a, she's like went nuts with it. Um, cause it worked really well for her, but that's how we get people. We don't, we don't try and persuade anyone about anything. Like kind of like the way I am on your podcast now. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't do that with clients. We just ask them questions and we use their answers to dial them into the place they need to go. But they don't need, they don't know how to get there or why they need to be there until they see and hear their own answers. So I have a bunch of questions after that because I'm a process driven guy. I love systems. And how often, this is really a systems question. How often are you revising and analyzing your systems? <laughs> <laughs> so we have a um, a principle. We have like a culture doc in our company, and w uh, probably the number one principle that we say to each other every day is uh, this Buddhist saying: "The glass is already broken." Right? And what it means is, I'll, I'll tell you the story. Basically, this talk show host or something was talking to a, a like a really famous Buddhist monk, and he said, "Can you explain Buddhism to me, like in a way that Americans will understand?" And so the, the, the monk looked at the table and there was a glass of water. He said, uh, if you understand that that glass is already broken, then you understand Buddhism. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, I can look at that glass and I can appreciate how beautiful it is and how well it holds water and, and, and how delicious the water that comes, how clean the water that comes out of it is. But I know that whether it's in five minutes or 500 years, this glass will somehow break and shatter. So I know the glass is already broken, so I don't expect it to be permanent. I don't expect anything from it other than what it is. And he's like, oh, that's really brilliant. And so we use that, that term, that phrase, the glass is already broken, about our process. We assume uh, everything we do in our process is wrong, but it's the best way we know how right now. And as soon as we find a better way, we change it. Uh, so like, uh, we have changed our process, the details of our process, almost like, in, in, in effectively infinite number of times <laughs> and ways, just in the two years since we've started. 
But the thing that doesn't change is the overarching principle, the, the, the mission. We turn ideas into books. Like how we get there is just depending on how, how smart we are at that moment and how, where our process is, you know? Yeah, man, that's such a big concept for people to get across because I hear it from people all the time where, you know, they're waiting for the process. They're waiting for the perfect moment. But like you said before, you just do stuff, do stuff, do stuff, realizing that you're going to make it better, but it's out there and you're fixing it and making it better and better. But it's the best you can do right now. That's, I mean, dude, that's why it allows us. The thing is, like, we realize there's no such thing as perfection. There's no such thing as permanence. They literally do not exist as concepts. But people hold on to them, and because they hold on to them, it prevents them from either starting or iterating and changing, right? So that way, nobody, nobody in our company is married to any part of our process. It is entirely possible that tomorrow we could come up with a way better system for framing uh, positioning a book in the three questions I told you. Why are you writing the book? Who who do you want to read it? And why are they going to care? It's entirely possible. And it, and if it comes, we change it immediately and we scrap the old system. If it is truly better. Man, and that's it. I think if you're listening to this podcast, there's something that you are not doing because you want a better process. Stop the podcast right now. Go do it and then come back and listen to the rest of this. <laughs> it is, I mean, it's so true. And I encounter it every day in life, and it's and I'm I see the people successful. You know, we talk to Gary, Neil Patel, and all those guys, and and they're doing stuff versus like thinking about doing it. Um, all right, so I want to talk a little bit about. Okay, we get the book out there, uh, and how are you marketing the book? Are you doing it? Do you guys help with the marketing of the book? What's the best way someone so, can market their book? No, we don't, as a, as a firm, as a company, we don't do a lot of book marketing. And, and, and I'll tell you why. Because there is no such thing as the right way to market a book. Uh, uh, there's like a right way to market a car, or at least a standard way, for example. But because cars are basically all the same, they're commodities. It, it, excepting the Tesla for a second, they're just all the same. But um, books are not because... You know, a novel is a totally different thing than, than nonfiction. And then uh, Melissa's book, uh, is a to you're going to market that a totally different way than you would market our book. Like we wrote a book called The Book in a Box Method, which is about our process. And, um, and so you would never market those things the same because they're going for different audiences, right? And so the idea that you would market a book actually comes from the concept, the, the assumption that the point of writing a book is to sell copies. And we actually reject that entire concept. We look at a book as a market, as an all purpose, a general purpose marketing tool that you're using to promote something else. So the question is not, how do I market my book? The question is, how do I use my book to get what I really want? Right? So if you notice, Melissa didn't really market her book. Um, I'll tell you exactly what she did. Because she wrote the first book on pop-up retail, then she was able to essentially get covered in every single uh, retail media sort of a trade publication and the and there's a couple TV shows in New York about retail and there's actually a radio show and like uh, the only people who listen to those things or read them are people in retail but those are the only people she cared about uh, going after right so that's the the thing about writing a niche book makes it really easy for you to get niche media which will get you results you see. And so you, if you think of the book as I'm going to use the book as the hook to get people to talk about me uh, to the audience that I want to reach, then 
it's super easy. It reverses the whole thing. Now it's just a matter of thinking, who's my audience? Uh, where are they? What, what media speaks to them? How can I get on that media? Simple as that. Yep. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. So I want to talk, because you talked about um, your Book in the Box method. That's available on your website right now, right? Yes, yes. If you go to bookinabox.com uh, slash book, then uh, you can actually download it for free. I like that. That's a, a pretty good price. That's fantastic. So I want to talk a little bit about your marketing for this because you, you guys are on a wait list right now for it, right? Right now, today, I think we might be up to, if it's a wait list, it's like a week. It's not, it's not much. Okay, cool. So you're, you're playing marketing this. We talked a little last time about video and video marketing. You guys are going to start publishing to YouTube. What's your plan with that? What, you know, what, what are you thinking about doing? How are you going to use video to market Book in a Box? Man, there's a lot of ways. So if you go to our, our main site, just bookinabox.com, you can look, um, you know, we, it's funny saying this from a guy who got famous because he's an author and then, um, uh, cause he wrote words and then started a company r helping other people write books. But what I'm about to say is just, it's, it's a unarguable fact. Video is the future. Video is the next mega trend. Whether you want to call it AR or VR or YouTube, filmed content is the, the mega trend. And I'll tell you why, because it's ha humans are designed to be visual audio creatures first. And the cost and difficulty of production is now dropping exponentially. And so I think book, books are not going away. Just like when, when TV was invented, radio did not go away. Uh, media, new media systems don't replace old ones. They just augment them. Uh, so, but we, we have a, a long-term plan for video. Um, and I think it would not shock me if in 10 years we're actually predominantly a video company in a lot of ways. Uh, that has a very important book component, but, but we, we, most of our business comes from video. Um, I'm not sure how it's going to happen, uh, cause there's a lot of paths we can take to get there. But the basic idea is, um, we want to end up doing the same thing for video courses that we do for books and for video content that we do for books. Meaning you can come to us as someone who's really smart with a great idea and, uh, have us e either produce a, a documentary or a show or a YouTube channel or whatever, just something that is a, essentially a video expression of your idea uh, that will get you sort of the thing that you want, right? That'll promote the thing that you want, that'll become the lead gen for, for whatever you want. Or in the case of a video course, that actually is a product, you know? Like a lot of people come to us to write books and they use those books to as lead gens for their video course, which is, you know, 500 to $5,000. For example, yeah. Um, so that's that's the basic sort of thing, and we we have not uh, this quarter we're actually starting to to produce our own videos. You know, like a ton of videos about content, all the stuff that I've written, all the stuff. Like, there's not a great YouTube channel for authors. We're we're about to build one, and um, we're going to use that to essentially learn what the process we have for books. We're going to learn a similar process. We're going to create a similar process for video, and we're going to start with ourselves as the client, and then. We've got a couple of other authors who are lined up who want to work with us. You know how it works. You, you start a small number, high margin, and then you just keep rolling from there until it becomes a process. Yes. Yeah. And using yourself as the best case example, right? And start yep. out. That's such an important thing. And one of the things I love about your website, and I think that's a great example for anyone to look at in marketing, is the, the case studies. And that you have real case studies on their case, like uh, stories. 
being told. And uh, it's so important. They're not testimonials. And I, I hate the word testimonials. And I tell people don't do it. But case studies, and it's a beautiful example of how, how you do it because, I mean, if someone just tells your, no matter how much you talk, if you have someone telling your story, they're going to outsell you any day. Yeah, and we, you haven't even seen, man, we haven't, we just finished the videos for the case studies. They're not even on the case study page yet. They're going to be really good. They're, they're going to look like, our goal was to look better than HubSpot. And HubSpot does great stuff. So we were trying to be better. I don't know if we are yet, but... um yeah, absolutely. Like a video testimonial plus like a story. And dude, it's really simple, man, to do a testimonial. All you have to do is take Hero's journey and apply it to your customer, not yep. yourself. And then you, your your company is essentially the mentor wizard sort of assisting tool in the Hero's journey, and that's all it is. And then people are like, then people project themselves onto uh, your customers, and if they fit that profile, like yeah, they have similar problems. And your solution works in a similar way. It's like the easiest. You're not even selling. You're solving their problem. You know. Oh, it's so true. And it's just a matter of just sourcing those case studies and getting more and more of them. And, yep. And then you know, people identify with those people, and boom, you've got it. One thing you know we're experimenting with is actually then cutting up the case studies in different path in different ways depending on what's someone's objection. There, we talk, I talk about wants, needs, and alibis. You know, and the further someone is down their path in deciding with you, you know, those case studies are a great way for to get, to get people over that last hump, that last fear, believing that they can write a book. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to do it. I love it. That's awesome. Love it. I can't wait. Uh, so when are you guys going to launch? I'm going to put you on the spot. Are you launching the YouTube ch channel sometime soon? Uh, uh, we will have videos up within the month, but like. Here's the thing. I'm not sure how much we're going to make the book in a box channel. Like a, it doesn't matter how much you dress it up. No one cares about company channels, corporate channels. You know, mm -hmm. like we're gonna we're gonna do our videos really well. Um, we're gonna start with just a basic search strategy. We're not gonna we're not gonna be we're, we're, I, in all fields. I like starting with the fundamentals and then building from there. So like there is not good content on YouTube about books. And I I, I mean I there's great content on the web. You search Google for how to publish a book and you're overloaded with great stuff. Um, overloaded with stuff. Some is great, most is not, but there's a lot of great stuff. There's none on YouTube. There's nothing. And, uh, and, and I feel like uh, more and more professional stuff is moving to YouTube and it's still so early. It's so early in YouTube's history. People are like, oh my God, you know, like blah, 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 PewDiePie. And I'm like, ugh, you're right. If you want to do a channel that is uh, people watching you play video games, you're, you're behind the curve. But like there's, there's, there's only a couple of channel categories on YouTube that are like really built up, I think right now, that are competitive. I, I would say right, like there's gotta be at least 10,000 potential channel categories and I would say mm -hmm. maybe 10 are competitive, you know, yep. maybe 20. It's nuts how much opportunity there is. But the thing is with video, you gotta do it well. You can, you can mail in content to some extent, and people did for a long time, although that's becoming harder and harder. You cannot mail in video because people are judging you by how you look, the production quality, all these things that people don't judge content by. Yes, true. It is true. And also, you, yeah, you have to entertain a little bit more uh -huh. to get people hooked on because they can't skim as easily like they skim content to find what they want. So being entertaining is critical in that. Yep. So, awesome. Awesome. Well, Tucker, thanks so much. I mean, bookinabox.com. Uh, can you tell me again where I can get the book in the box for free? It's bookinabox.com slash book. 
slash book. Um, I mean, I highly suggest it to everyone. I, you go on the website, you'll see the results. You'll see the yep. people whose careers have changed because of, of this method. And I think it's fantastic and really can help pretty much anyone. And then stack some video on top of it. <laughs> yep. uh, all right. Oh, Tucker, thanks so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Of course, man. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And thank you all for listening to us, and I'll be talking to you soon. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook.